Good morning, my beloved Orangewood. What a joy it continues to be to worship our great God with you. It's so wonderful to have you all here. Uh, I recognize a few faces that weren't here last week, so it's great to be back together again with family. If you're a guest, a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to the very end of it, to the book of Revelation. Uh, Today we're going to look at a letter that was addressed to a church called Laodicea, or actually that's the place uh, that they were. It's amazing because although it was written a long time ago, and although it was written for a specific group of individuals, because it was written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's like all of God's Word. It was written for us. And you know, it's amazing because God's Word, sometimes, uh, sometimes it doesn't feel so much like us, and sometimes it's like spot on. So I want to give a little warning beforehand before we start this. Uh, if you had safety seats, uh, if you're going to snap in your seatbelt, this might be one of those Sundays they say clip on your seatbelt or hold on to your sides because this passage may sound a lot like us. I think the difficulty in a passage like this is, boy, do I see myself in this text. And, uh, you know, sometimes that hurts. But the great thing is, Right there with it is Jesus. And boy, is that just absolutely wonderful. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been seasick? Anybody here ever been seasick? Is, is, uh, yeah, some of you are like, oh, yeah, thanks for reminding me. I know. I, is that like one of the worst feelings ever? I mean, you, what do you do? You got that nausea working and, and the, everything's rocking and all you could pray for is a little solid ground. And there's, there's nothing like, I don't think, being seasick. And sometimes you wonder, is it contagious? Is, is being seasick contagious? Uh, on our, our wonderful sabbatical, we had the privilege of taking what was called a high-speed ferry. It was cheaper for us to go from one location to another instead of flying to go in this high-speed boat. And I want to picture it a little bit. Uh, it wasn't like some ferries I've been in. This one was more like going into an air, uh, airline, um, into a plane. The seats were very similar to airline seats, a little bit wider, of course. And the only way you could chance to see outside is you have a window seat. But I think even those people who had window seats, the water was rushing by so fast, it seemed to be uh, kind of condensation or fogged up. I'm not sure what they could see. There's a couple of TVs that could distract your attention. But the good thing for us is the first time we were on this was early in the morning. So I kind of got there, checked right out, went to sleep. But I woke up because the seas got a little rough, you know? And so some rough seas happening and Somebody got sick and then another person gets sick. And before you know it, there's a dozen people at least getting sick around you. Uh, Seeing someone get sick is not very good, is it? Hearing it's even worse. Smelling it is all time bad, isn't it? It's like, oh, and, and when all, all the, you have that trifecta of seeing, hearing, and smelling, you know, you're, you're like swallowing hard, please, Lord. Oh, please, Lord. Please, Lord. And you got that gag reflex going on. <clears throat> Please, Lord. Anything but this. You know that gag reflex, right? Is there anything worse? You think God could ever have that gag reflex about us? How would it make you feel if, if God were ever to kind of be nauseated looking at us? What would, what would cause God to, to feel like he would want to spew us out of his mouth? 
I mean, what, what would have to happen? And we're going to look at a text that this morning is going to say that that's what happened. God got nauseated because of the church at Laodicea. What you want to say is, well, man, I want to know what these guys did. They, they must have been bad. It must have been murder. I mean, they must have been a bunch of adulterers. I mean, maybe they were hurting children. I mean, they must have been doing some really vile, really disgusting things that would cause God to want to spew them out of his mouth. And here's what it was. They were lukewarm. They were, they were tepid. They, they were neither hot nor cold when it came to the things of Christ and when it came to Christianity. And, and it, that was it. I mean, that was what God would see in them that would cause the Holy Spirit to write a letter through John that would basically say, because you are lukewarm, I want to vomit. It makes me nauseous. What, what causes a church to be lukewarm? I mean, maybe let's take it from what causes the church to be lukewarm and what causes you and me to be lukewarm? Because I'm going to bet that if we're honest with each other and if this was true confession time, a lot of us would say, even those of us who've grown up around Jesus and grown up in the church and been around Christianity a lot, a lot of us will probably raise your hand and say, you know what? I'm kind of guilty as charged. I mean, lukewarm Christianity is something that seemingly all of us wrestle with. What causes it? Well, this morning we're going to look at this. We're going to look at the problem. And it's looking at the problem again. Let me warn you, the the problem is probably not just their problem. This is our problem. So as we look at the problem, let's examine our hearts uh, and let's do it boldly and let's do it without fear. Because here's good news. We're not only going to look at the problem, we're going to look at the prescription. Because that's how gracious God is. I mean, God just doesn't show us uh, the problem and say, go, good luck figuring that out. You see, in this text alone this morning, we're going to see not only the problem of of lukewarmness and why it's such a big problem, we're also going to see the prescription of how to to be healed from this. And then lastly, we'll see the promise. Because that's what God is. is Not only will he reveal to us, we got issue. But he'll show you to us, here's the solution. Then he'll lovingly say, let me give you the promises. As again, we look at this church, uh, the church in Laodicea, that Jesus would say, I was about to spew you out of my mouth. Let us look to ourselves first and foremost. Last week, we looked at a a letter written in Revelation to the church in Ephesus. Uh, But we see that there are seven churches that that John on the island of Patmos is going to write to. In the book of Revelation, that number seven is very telling. It's a number of a, a total number. It's like all completion. And so the bottom line is this, is this letter was written for them. But because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, it was written for you. We can find this church in modern-day Turkey, uh, Asia Minor at the time. But more importantly, we find God's word right here in front of us. So let's hear God speak to us through his word. Revelation 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, A little study into this would realize that those big words as revealing that this is a letter coming from Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, to the church at Laodicea. And he writes, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you would either be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, 
and neither hot nor cold, I will, I will spew you out or spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich and I've prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may be clothed, clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and have sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord and let us pray. Father God, the thought of you being nauseated with us really makes us feel, well, nauseous. And God, it's incredible to see that what would lead you there was just being lukewarm about your son. So God, you suggest that you would rather have us hot or cold. And so God, we ask that your spirit would come and ignite our hearts. That God, that you would do that which only you could do, that you would give us the ears to hear and ears to hear your voice, not the voice of a lukewarm pastor. God, that you'd be pleased to speak through a sinner like me. God, give us eyes to see, to see ourselves rightly. Even if it's seeing ourselves rightly for the very first time, and even if it's painful, may we see ourselves rightly so that we could see Christ Jesus rightly and run to him. Father, we ask that you would come and that you would shine your truth into our minds, that we would be able to understand your word that, God, you would lovingly work in our hearts, that we would embrace your word and your truth in our lives. And that, God, that you would be so with us and so clearly with us, remind us so clearly how much you love us and how much you're for us, that when we leave here, we would be able to walk out of here, not lukewarm. We'd be able to walk out of here really on fire and, and zealous for your name and your glory. God, what is said that is wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But what is said that is true and contains the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would, would you use those words to shape us more like your son, our Savior? And it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Laodicea. Uh, it's ruins now. I'm going to show you some pictures in a few moments. But Laodicea at one time was a vibrant, rich city. I mean, it was an amazing place uh, that had many, many gifts in that city. It was on a fault line. It had a lot of earthquakes that ran, ran through there. And some believe that because of the number of earthquakes they had, eventually the city was abandoned. 
But let me tell you about one of those earthquakes. It happened in about 60 AD. And the earthquake really devastated the area. But Laodicea was such a successful city, uh, such a rich city in the world's eyes, that although Rome offered to come and help rebuild the city, they said, no thanks. We got this. We could do this on our own. Think about that. Think about a disaster coming in some little town or state here in the States and the government saying, we want to offer you aid. And they say, no, thanks. Keep the money. Use that money somewhere else. We're good. We got this. Laodicea not only was a rich town able to rebuild itself after that, it was known as a medical center. Uh, apparently, uh, some of the rocks in the area, uh, they found out, produced, if it was uh, treated correctly, the salve for your eyes. Uh, they were able to tr- make this ointment. They became famous uh, for this ointment. As a matter of fact, they made it in tablet form and sent it around the known world to treat eyes and eye ailments and ears. Uh, I don't know how one ointment does both, but that's what they became known for. Uh, they also were known for their, their wool garments. Uh, they were known for, apparently, they were able to have a sheep that had a wool that was like raven black, they said. And it was softer than others. So, so this town uh, had kind of a history. I mean, this is, you'll see, uh, the first slide was a, a road into this old town. And you'll see uh, uh, what's remaining of this old town. But this town, Laodicea, it had a water issue. How do you get water to this area? Well, it's interesting where the water flowed from. Uh, you'll see I'm standing here in Laodicea and I'm taking a picture. And this white that you see, that's not snow. Uh, that's a place called Pamukkale. And that is right below Hierapolis. Uh, that also is listed in your Bible. And Hierapolis is a place with hot waters and hot springs. And that white, uh, Pamukkale means white castle. And what happens is that calcified water that, that ran through there made this beautiful, uh, again, kind of calcified water. Uh, and that beautiful spot. So in Laodicea, they actually had pipes, psalm, it's incredible, that would connect all the way to that area that would bring them hot water. But they also had this area called Colossae, uh, the mountains in the background. This is Colossae from the book of Colossians. On this mountain ran cold water. And they tapped into that mountain as well. And so they would bring water into Laodicea, the cold water from Colossae, the hot water from Hierapolis. But guess what happened by the time it got to uh, Laodicea? It was lukewarm. As a matter of fact, they said it was not only lukewarm, but, but it didn't taste good. Uh, as immediately, the, uh, not only was it a bad temperature, but it was kind of worthless. They said they wanted to kind of spit it out of his mouth. That's Laodicea. But while we were there, uh, I was saying, listen, my water was lukewarm too. I mean, it was so hot there, carrying it around in my pocket. You know, I said, this is Laodicea. You get lukewarm water here. But it was on a Sunday, so we were able to have church. And so what we did is we gathered. It was Scott DeVries, a member of our church here, and his son Joseph, who were with us. They were missionaries there. Uh, we found this little uh, cave-looking area. We're able to settle in there for church. And you know I'm not going to miss a preaching opportunity. So there you have it. We had some interesting guests. Really, the only people around worshiping with us were these kind of fellows. Uh, that's kind of Laodicea right now. I want to tell you what their problem was. I want to tell you what their problem was because, you know, quite frankly, I think it's my problem. I even think it's your problem. So let's look at the problem of Laodicea. And it begins with this. I mean, 
Laodicea's problem, ironically, although they were known for this salve that was supposed to help the eyes, it was the way, listen, the way Laodicea saw themselves was radically different than the way God saw them. The way that they perceived who they were and what they have, their, their eyesight was blinded. And Jesus says, you don't see yourself rightly. What does the text say? The text says this about the church at Laodicea. They, they saw themselves as rich. They, they thought they had all the world had to offer. I mean, it was an amazing Roman town. It was amazing right on a trade port. I mean, they had all the stuff. I mean, they had some great garments and, and they had the medical stuff and they thought that they were rich in the world's eyes. And apparently they were. Because again, I mean, who, who turns away money that is offered to you to rebuild the city? But their riches became an identity and their riches became a problem. But it's more. The problem was not only that they, they, they were rich in what the world had to offer, they, they were self-made. They, they thought they were self-made. The scripture says that they had prospered. And when it says that they had prospered, it doesn't mention God's grace. It doesn't mention God's help. It's basically saying this. This, this is a city. This is a church who said, you know what? We've pulled ourselves up from the bootstraps. We are, we're self-made people. We've prospered. We've done it. So in, in their eyes, they saw themselves as, as obtaining the world's good stuff. They feel like they did it on their own. They were self-made. And lastly, they were self-sufficient. I mean, incredible what God describes in there. They say, we say we need nothing. We lack nothing. I mean, who in the world would say that? But they were basically saying all the resources we needed are at our disposal. Uh, we have made ourselves and we are self-sufficient. We need nothing. You know, when you, when you see yourself as rich apart from God and when you see yourself as self-made and when you see yourself as self-sufficient, what kind of God do you need in your life? What, what kind of savior would you need to come and, and rescue you? You see, their lukewarmness really created a need for a very lukewarm savior. And not a very big one. I mean, they had such stuff that filled their hands and filled their lives and, and filled their hearts that the room they had for Jesus wasn't a whole lot. And so all I needed was a lukewarm savior. They, they felt good that they could stand on their own. They felt good that on their own they'd made it. You know what scares me? I think if we were to introduce somebody, if I, if I were to bring somebody in and say, I want to introduce something to you. Let me introduce somebody I went to college with and let me tell you how successful she is. Let me, let me tell you all the things that she has done and let me, let me tell you about those things. Well, like, oh, that's really cool. And then if I said, let me tell you that, that he was somebody that, that was self-made, that really just out of nowhere made themselves into something. They said, oh man, that's great. And maybe I said, well, you know, this person is self-sufficient. I mean, she's incredible. I mean, she's just uh, wonderful in all that she has. And we would say, the American dream come true. And Jesus sees it radically different. He says, this is the way you see yourself. But let me, let me tell you the way I see you. And he says, I see you as wretched. It's very interesting Greek word, wretched, here. When, when they translated the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, and they translated it into Greek, called the Septuagint, the word they used, this word they used to describe cities in ruins. Cities that pillars have been knocked down. And so, basically saying, you think you're a city altogether. Let me tell you, you're 
you're in ruins. You're, you're sinful. You're so arrogant, but the word that God describes them is that you're pitiable. You should be pitied. I mean, you can't even see your own condition. He says this, he says, you're poor. Well, what do you mean we're poor? I mean, we're so rich, we don't need Rome. He said, but you're, you're conditioned spiritually. Where you are, the things that God cherishes. I mean, God in your life, you're poor. In God's economy, God's scale, you're poor. But it's worse, and you're blind. And again, as he, as he goes through the, the list, I just think there's such tongue-in-cheek here. I mean, all the things that they thought as a medical center, and now even saying you're blind. I mean, they're famous for the salve that supposedly brings healing to their eyes. He says, let me tell you about your eyes. They don't see anything. Because you don't see yourself rightly apart from Christ. You don't see yourself as radically needing a savior. You don't see yourself that your self-sufficiency is in the way. You don't see yourself that your being self-made is robbing God glory. You don't see yourself that your security in what the God has to offer is driving Jesus away. You are blind. You're blind to what God is offering you. You're blind to your condition apart from him. I mean, Scripture tells us that apart from God's grace, by nature, we're children of wrath. And by nature, I mean, there, there's nothing good inside of us. Scripture says there's not one of us who's righteous, not one. On our own, it says there's none of us who will seek God. And apart from him, we're completely dead in trespasses and sins and blind to the truth. More, he says, I know you got this really fancy wool that's softer than everywhere else and it's raven black and you're really proud of it. But the truth is, Spiritually, before me, you're naked. You're naked. Listen, there is nothing that you have. There's nothing that you own. There's nothing that you weave. There's nothing you can create. Listen, you can't do anything to clothe yourself in my holy presence. And the only way that we can stand before a holy God is to have his righteousness robust. You see, that was the problem. They missed it. It was a huge problem because of all these things that they saw themselves happening. It caused them to be lukewarm. But again, church, if I stopped and said, how big of a deal is it to be a lukewarm Christian? We would probably give lukewarm answers, right? But the reality is this was a radical problem. It was bad. It, was an, it, it nauseated God. It made him seasick. He wanted to spit him out. Because they were lukewarm. Because they've reduced Jesus, God's son. They reduced the, the savior of the world to just a lukewarm savior. I think that we live in Laodicea. I think we live in a place and a time and a culture that, that's around us, wants to point us to, to being self-made, to being self-sufficient, to pursuing all the things that the world has to offer. I think that even on our own sinfulness, we just have this propensity to, I don't know if it's the law of thermodynamics or whatever it is, that we just kind of move toward lukewarmness, don't we? It seems like churches seem to move toward lukewarmness. And do we really think it's bad? I think the, I think the issue that Jesus is really uncovering here is, you see, the, the world deceives us. The, the world lulls us into a false sense of security. The world will say things like being self-made and self-sufficient are good. But I want you to know this. It's antithetical to Christianity. 
Why? 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 What's wrong with that? Because they had moved. Those things in and of themselves are not evil. But when they're your identity, they're your standing, when they take away your need for Jesus, when they blind your eyes from the truthfulness of your own sin, when you think that you can stand on your own, when, when those things rob Jesus of his glory, when Jesus says, I want you to stand alone for me and everything I offer you, it's awful. It's antithetical to Christianity. We got to look at that. It really is. That's the problem. And it made him sick. But here's the prescription. The prescription that Jesus offers is that we are to let go or let loosely, hold on loosely to all the God the world has to offer and to embrace, I mean, to, to receive all that God, all that Jesus offers us. I love the way the text says it. Jesus says, you think you're rich, but I want you to buy from me. I want you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Basically saying this, it's pure and it's tested. And how in the world do we buy from Jesus anything? I mean, we have nothing to barter with. We don't have a currency that we can exchange with him. And he's just telling us in language, come to me in faith and take everything that I offer to you. Be rich in God's economy. And then he says this, he says, I got white garments for you to cover your shame. And again, maybe, maybe or maybe not, it's comparing itself to the black wool that they were famous for. But he's basically saying, I have a gift for you that you can never earn on your own. I have something that you could never obtain by good works. I have for you a white garment and it's the garment of Christ's righteousness. It's the garment of all the things that Jesus has done to fulfill the law and please the father. He says, I became your sin so that you could become my righteousness. And I'm going to offer you, Jesus says, I'm going to offer you this, this garment that will allow you to stand in holy God's presence. And as you wear the garment, you will be blameless in Christ Jesus. And you will be righteous. And you'll belong to the Father. As you wear this garment, you have every right to stand in holy God's presence. I'm going to offer it to you. I'm going to cover you. And the shame, listen, the shame of your sin and the ugliness of everything that separated you from the Father, I'm going to cover it. And now, covering our shame. Do you know what that means? Do you know how powerful this is? Now that you and I have access to the Father, we don't have to come in with our heads down saying, I'm messed up, I'm lukewarm, I'm a sinner, I'm rotten, I'm awful. He offers us a white garment to say, yes, I still have the propensity to be lukewarm. I still have the propensity to do the wrong thing, but I am righteous in Christ. Man, what an amazing gift he offers us. He says, I have some salve for your eyes. I got some ointment to make you truly see. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit so we can see ourselves rightly apart from him. We can see who Jesus is. What's the prescription? Won't surprise you. Jesus. So how do you take the prescription? I know you go to the doctor, you get a prescription for an ailment and they may give you different options of how you take it. Uh, I've seen prescriptions taken in different ways, intravenously, through a port, for goodness sakes, uh, orally. I'm not going to tell you which one of my four kids, but I had one of my four who was unable to swallow a pill. Even through as they got older, are you kidding me? Put it on your tongue, splash back some water, and swallow. Ooh, can't do it. So do you have any other way to take this prescription? Well, let me tell you, the only way to take the prescription that Jesus offers 
is to let him in. How to take it. Let Jesus into your life. You know what? You know what's radically beautiful about this text? Look at Jesus says this. He says, He says, Your lukewarmness makes me want to puke. And at the same time, you see him, Jesus saying, But I'm standing at the door knocking. Look at Jesus' grace in the midst of a life that basically says, I don't need much of you. He still graciously stands at the door and knocks because he loves us. And how do you take this prescription? You ready for this? You let him in. And when you let Jesus in, this is not saying, okay, God, it's like clearing out your closet so you can have a little Jesus room in your closet or, or clearing out a little piece of your garage so you can fit him in there. This is not like doing a little pushing over here and pushing over there and say, come in here. You can fit right in this one little corner. When he says, I stand at the door and knock, if you let me in, you, you got to let go of everything else. Your identity, your security, your joy, you got to let go of everything else. If I'm coming in, I want everything. You know the reason Jesus demands everything from us? Listen, the reason Jesus demands everything from us, and don't think he doesn't, because he wants to give everything to us. He wants to give everything that brings life and, and joy and fellowship. Jesus demands it all so he can give it all. That was the prescription of taking him. How do you do that? How do you let him into your life? You repent. <laughs> you repent. You zealously repent. You quickly repent. I mean, with, with fervor you repent. And, and what are they repenting of? Now, don't forget this. What are they repenting of? Pursuing riches, being self-made, and self-sufficient. That's what they're repenting of. Why are those so bad? Because those are things that they got their identity and their security and their joy apart from Jesus. And anything, any standing apart from Jesus, repent and do it quickly. Here's the prescription. It's Jesus. Let him in and repent of everything else you're holding on to that's not him. Let it go. It's killing you in the long run. Let it go. It's making God nauseous. Let it go. He wants to offer you so much more. You see, it's basically saying, Jesus, I want to come and I want you to come in and be Lord and Savior and have everything that you offer and drop everything that I'm clinging to. As I studied this, I just, I just cried out in repentance and said, God, how many things am I holding on to that, that I'm just holding on to something that I think is important that's keeping me from grasping onto you? How many things fill my heart that are away from you? I think of C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis in Weight of Glory. He, he said to us, he said, you know, uh, it was very interesting. He said, it's, it's not that our, our desires are too strong. It says our desires are too weak. We're really, we're, we're too easily amused. We, we take the world's stuff when Jesus offers us God's stuff and we are satisfied with what the world has to offer and we shouldn't be. Here's what he says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures. Half-hearted creatures, aren't those lukewarm creatures? 
We're lukewarm creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far easily too pleased. And that's what he's saying to the church of Laodicea. You're far easily too pleased. I mean, you're just happy with what the world has to offer. Jesus is offering you so much more. The promise. Lastly, the promise. He says, you take, here's the problem. Here's the prescription. Jesus, you let me in. You ready for the promise? It's unbelievable. He says, I'll come in. You let me, I'm going to come in. I'm going to come into your lives. And, and really what Jesus is saying here is this, I will identify with you. I'll give you my name. I'll, sh- I'll give you my blood. I'll give you my righteousness. I'll identify with you because I want to be all your identity. I love it. It says, I will eat with you and you with me. I mean, just the redundancy of that. I will eat with him and him with me. What is Jesus offering? It's fellowship with us. He wants our heart, not our stuff. Relationship. I mean, I want to I come. I'm Emmanuel, God with us. And I want to be, be there. What an amazing God. Not only will he come in, not only will he have fellowship with us. He says this, and this is, this is incredibly radical. He says to those that, that will come and those who will bow down their life and those who are conquering in Christ Jesus, it's all of his children. He says this, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. What does that mean? It means this, is that everything that Jesus owns as the only begotten son and everything that Jesus has earned as the only obedient son, he says, I want to share with you. It's not enough that he says he loves you. It's not enough that he says he forgives you. It's not enough that he wants to have fellowship with you. He says that everything I own, I want to give to you. My inheritance, my name, my rightful place at the Father's right hand, my throne. I mean, a fellowship with the Father. This is what I want to give you. Why does it make me puke with the things that you're pursuing? Because I'm offering you so much more. The promise. Scripture says that all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms are ours in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I want to promise you joy today and and I want to promise you a hope for tomorrow. Everything he has, he shares with us. He demands everything from us so he can give everything to us. And everything he has is everything we need. He says, those I love, I'll discipline. I'll treat you like family. Here's the promise. (laughs) I'm gonna make you more like me, Jesus says. I'm gonna discipline you. I'm gonna treat you like the father treats me. What's the only cure for seasickness? What's the only cure? I mean, I, I know you got those patches and maybe that's the cure beforehand and you got the bracelets and I don't know what else you do. I don't know what else there is. But once you're seasick, what's the only cure? As far as I know, solid ground. I mean, just get yourself to solid ground, you know? And you see people get off the boat and they're green in colors you never saw. And it was like on a hug on the ground, like, okay, whoo. The world's not shaking anymore. What's the cure for the sickness of lukewarmness? It's the solid 
ground of Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a life that's completely spread out and completely surrendered on the rock of Christ. It says, my whole world is shaking, but you're not. Be my identity. Be myself. Be my sufficiency. Be my provider. Be my savior. Be my Lord. Be my redeemer. Be my friend. Bring me to the Father. The only hope we have is to stand and live and be on the solid rock of Christ. We gotta come with empty hands and say, God, empty them out so that you can fill them up for your glory. Let us pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for telling us how repugnant it is in your sight to be lukewarm. And God, you don't tell us that so we feel guilty and you don't tell us that so we'll try to work a little harder and try to do a little more or maybe give a little more so that we could be hot. I love the fact that you say it's repugnant to you because all we need is a lukewarm savior and that's nothing like you are. God, give us the grace to see ourselves rightly apart from you. And I believe if we see you for who you really are, Jesus, as our identity, the one that we find our riches, as our security and our joy, we'll be anything but lukewarm. But God, we confess that we're, even when we see you, we're so prone to wander. I just thank you for your grace and your gentleness to each one of us that although we live lives that should nauseate you, you still graciously come to us and knock and say, I got an exchange for you. You can turn in your garbage right here at the cross. You can turn your garbage in and you can pick up your gold. You can pick up garments to wear in my presence. And oh, by the way, come on up here next to the Father and share all that I have. Father, we're way too easily amused. I pray that, God, you deal with this pastor, you deal with this congregation, and you'd fix our eyes on the solid rock so that we wouldn't have seasick lukewarmness. We would build on you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.